Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many you are listening podcasts. to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am glad we're going to spend some time together. Do you have a fearful heart? I know that's kind of a bold, right-up-front question, but if you have anxious feelings, and sometimes you feel like those anxious anxious feelings are getting out of control and maybe not getting any better, maybe today uh, we can collectively say, let's start replacing our fears with faith and reduce some anxiety, and let's find freedom in God's care and his character. I'm going to have a chance to talk uh, to Stephen Arterburn. He's written a wonderful devotional called 100 Days to Freedom from Fear and Anxiety. He's the founder and chairman of New Life Ministries, which is the nation's largest faith-based broadcast counseling and treatment ministry. He's got uh, more than 10 million books in print, and he's a nationally known public speaker and best-selling author. He's on our studio line. Steve, welcome. Well, thank you. It is so good to be with you. And uh, I love getting to talk to your audience. So thanks for having me on. I hope that we can provide some help here. Well, yeah, I know you can. And I think you can't have a more topical book than right now, uh, dealing with the the sense that people Hmm. have anxiety, they have anger, and we need freedom from it. So uh, good timing, Steve. Well, you know, um, I think that anybody that isn't experiencing a little bit of anxiety or a little bit of fear, uh, maybe not be aware of what's going on in the world. So I'm just saying, I think it's, it's natural. And, and it's, you know, if you're walking down an alley and you see a shadow coming toward you, and it looks like he's got a gun in one hand and a knife in the other, uh, fear will save your life. So, it, you know, there's a place for fear. And also, um, like if you're a little bit anxious about, the future, gas prices, inflation, all of that, then hopefully that little bit of fear causes you to move into preparation, which Mm -hmm. is a great thing. But a lot of times fear is kind of the surface emotion for something that's deeper uh, down inside. And there's there's a reason that there's this free-floating anxiety, or just outright uh, panic attacks all the time. And many times that's because something has happened to us that's caused us to be on alert. And, you know, it's really hard to have a wonderful, warm relationship with another person if everything they do might trigger you into alert. So it really uh, does you well to figure out, you know, did something happen to me that, that just causes me to overreact like this, you know? And then uh, it could be that I'm so afraid and I let people see the fear, but I won't let them see the anger that's mm. underneath it. And, you know, I, um, I was talking to actually a pastor and his wife was saying that this man um, is, is just so angry 
all the time, and he's destroying our kids. He's such a nice man at church. And and I went just the opposite. I said, well, let's look at what's under all that anger. And he was able to just burst into tears. And I said, what are you so afraid of? And what he was afraid of is that he was going to lose his kids. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to control his kids the way his dad controlled him. So he was just kind of in a survival mode, but he was so open to seeing it. And I think any time we're going to make progress, uh, we have to see what it is, have to see the reality first. There's, there's nothing that's going to be done about something that we refuse to see. Now, a lot of people say, well, we're not given a spirit of fear. No, but fear can be a realistic, protective emotion. You don't want to be living in fear, but you also don't want to deny that, that it's there. And, it's, and then the other thing that, that you really have to be dealing with is your anger. Because, you know, the Bible says to get rid of all resentment, bitterness, and anger. It doesn't say, well, unless your husband is not treating you well or, well, your wife is doing something. It says all of it. And what a gift that is to yourself. And it's a gift to your kids. One of the things that Roger Gould said, he says that everybody knows this. The problems between parents become the problems within the children. You know, they may not listen to you or it may not feel like they're listening to you. I guarantee you they're watching. And uh, and they are listening too, mm-hmm. and they are are hearing things that frighten them, hurt them, make them wonder about the future, make them insecure. And I'll tell you, it is so worth it to get whatever help you need. And a lot of times, people think, well, if I get help, it's showing weakness. No, it's actually showing a willingness, a humble willingness that God will honor if you're willing to get some help for something that's obviously impacting you in your marriage and then obviously impacting your kids. Mm-hmm. Steve, is anger, I'm just, think, I'm just thinking through this right now, is, mm-hmm. it, is anger just frustration that's boiled over? Or is I, it the, I don't think so. Okay. I, I've, I know that kind of anger, you know, and, you know, there are just days that things just kind of send that tend to pile up and mm-hmm. and you get overwhelmed frustrated and you're just angry you want to hit something or or do a run uh yeah that's a, that's one kind of anger but you know there's another kind of anger that can be resolved um in a grieving and forgiving process you know i may not really know or i've never really looked at what my anger is but the source might be that my dad was never there for me or my mother was so hovering or controlling Mm -hmm. and I was so angry. Well, how do you get rid of that? Well, first we have to see it. Yeah, that was real. That is what happened. And then secondly, we have to try to grieve whatever we were entitled to that didn't come. You know, every child is entitled to healthy parents, nurturing them, loving them, pouring love into them so that they can have security and grow in adult life. When you don't have that, well, somebody might say, well, look at all you've got. You had to live in a nice house, nice neighborhood. Yeah, but but you, you didn't have this 
connecting kind of love with the parent. So we grieve that loss. We let it go. And what grief does is it it enables us to move beyond something that hurt. We don't have to relive that hurt every day. Well, once I grieve it and let it go, now I can accept. I can accept my parents. I can accept them and forgive them for being doing the best they could, but it wasn't enough. I can forgive them. And now I, if I've gone through that, I don't have any reason to be angry at them. And my anger is taking up real estate in my head that God does not want to be taken up by anger. Mm-hmm. And so by forgiving them, it's not a gift to them at all. It's gift to me. I am free. And so many people, we wrote about this in Take Your Life Back. So many people are still controlled or influenced by somebody that hasn't really been much in their life for 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. That's very sad. Yeah. Stephen Arterburn is my guest. His book is 100 Days to Freedom from Fear and Anxiety. Uh, Steve, you talk. You refer to anger as a learned skill. What does that mean? Well, you learn to use it. You learn to use it to uh, distance yourself from others, and you learn. You use it to discount others, and you some use it to control or increase and produce fear in other people. And you know, first you're just angry, and then all of a sudden that anger becomes the, your go-to tool. Well, there there are a lot of other tools that you can go to. And so often we're angry at someone who is really just trying and doing their the best they can. And and they don't have everything they need. Rather than be angry at them, what if I could show acceptance of them? What if I could try to understand them? and what they're saying or what they want to communicate to me. Why do I need to defend myself with anger rather than connect with them with love? It's just opposite today, really, is Mm -hmm. what you need. And so many people walk right out of that church after they've said all the things that Christians say, and they get right into that angry, controlling place, and and they know nothing else but that. What a sad thing. And, you know, Life is such a gift. Well, I can talk to you about that more, but I'm telling you, we need to live the best life because it is one rare, rarest thing in the universe is life. We are a universal anomaly. Why not live it the way the person who gave it to you wants you to live? Yeah, amen. Steve, you say uh, many times that our anger is driven by broken relationships. How so? Well, if, uh, if somebody deserts me, betrays me, uh, ignores me, I, I'm I'm going to be hurt. And often that hurt leads to anger. I may be angry at myself because I blew it or I, I produced something, uh, but I'm, I might be angry blaming my parents. They didn't prepare me enough, or I might be angry at the person. But, you know, if I ask a group of Christians about three emotions, if I say, uh, how many of you uh, feel guilt and shame? I mean, Tons will raise their hands, you know, because that's that's what we do. How many of you feel some fear? Yes. But how many of you are really angry? Hardly anybody will raise their hand, and yet surveys show that a lot of Christians say that they're saved, but they're not living the way Jesus said to live, forgiving 70 times 7. And sometimes we tell people to forgive, And we expect it to be this instant forgiveness rather than invite them 
into a process where uh, I look at why I'm angry. I look at the impact that's had on other people, and I make the commitment to do whatever it takes to get rid of that uh, anger so I can truly accept and forgive. So if we're not rushing people to forgive, then we're helping them fully go through a forgiving process that will be very healing for them. Mm-hmm. Steve, and Arter Byrne is my guest, and we're going to, uh, good thing we have more time with him because I have a lot more questions. And his book is 100 Days to Freedom from Fear and Anxiety, and we'll be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity, in a special repeat performance. Let's begin our journey today to replace fear with faith and reduce anxiety and find freedom in God's care and his character. Stephen Arterburn is my guest. His book is called 100 Days to Freedom from Fear and Anxiety. And each of the 100 daily readings provides a short devotional, a key Bible verse, quotes from notable Christian leaders, and some additional scripture for further reflection and a prayer. Uh, Steve, is anger always somehow linked with fear? Well, um, probably not. Um, There is just pure anger because, you know, someone has done something, it has devastated you, and you can't undo it, and it's impacting your life, so you're just truly angry. The, the next phase would be, I'm, I'm so afraid it's going to happen again, or that I'm going to lose control some way because of the damage that's done. So it can be connected. It can be totally separate. But I just think the main thing is, if you have it, and rather than, like, let's say in a marriage, rather than your marriage is kind of two allies helping each other uh, get through life. You become uh, so antagonistic toward each other. That just means you need to get some help, and you can live a different kind of life, a better life. I, I hate it when people see things or they can feel the impact that it's having on other people, and then they think, well, i just got to try harder to get this right. Well, I've found that trying harder... It just makes trying harder. We have to surrender. We have to give things back to God if they're going to get better. And, you know, when I when I am either angry or I'm afraid, I have a little phrase, and I actually saw a research uh, project a couple of days ago that said this is a good thing. We need to teach our kids this. But I, I just instantly say, Steve, it's going to be okay. And then I tell myself, why I know it's going to be okay, because it's always going to be okay. Every, every, things I was threatened by seven years ago, I don't even remember what that was. Yet at the time, you know, I thought, oh, it's the end, mm-hmm. but it, it's okay. I'm here I am. I'm doing what I'm doing. So I tell myself it's going to be okay, and then I remind myself that if I will let him, God's got this. God's got me, and God has this and I'm going to be okay. You need to say these things to yourself versus spend all your time trying to control somebody or an organization or whatever. That's just going to cause you more fear 
and anxiety and more anger because you can't control other people. You can't control the um, the organization. You know, one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard, and it's really I've tried to refute this, uh, but I never can. It just seems like it's it's always true. And it was uh, Bill W. wrote this. He said, um, "Acceptance is the answer to all my problems today." You know that that acceptance isn't I accept that I'm helpless and hopeless. No, I'm going to accept responsibility to do whatever I need to do, and I'm going to do it no matter how uncomfortable. And then I'm going to pray that God will do whatever in the world. I cannot do. That's mm-hmm. that's what I want to do. And that can be a real game changer for people if they'll just do that. Mm-hmm. Stephen Arterburn is my guest. He's written a book called 100 Days to Freedom from Fear and Anxiety. Let's talk about unresolved anger. What happens if we fail to address it properly? Then what? You know, a lot of people, um, one thing that happens, and they don't understand it quite, but uh, it makes them sick, you know. Um, they, David, when he felt guilt and shame, that emotion had a physiological impact on him. He said, "My bones waxed old in my silence." If we're not sharing things and we're not open about things, we don't bury them dead. We bury them alive, and we feed them with food, alcohol, drugs, anger control, all of this stuff. And so we can really get sick and not even know why. Um, If we do shameful things, if we do uh, hurtful things, and we don't ever share, we don't ever open up about it, it really can make you very sick. Then the other thing is it's going to impact someone you love. It's going to impact them. Your behavior is going to have an impact, and um, it, it may cause the divorce. It may cause the insecurity that the children just can't handle right now. Um, So it's always in our best interest to say, is there a problem? And if there is, what is the resource that I need? Or if I see it in my kids, what is the resource that they need? And a lot of times we're afraid to do something other than more Bible study, more prayer, more discipline. But in reality, it's the thing that we need to do. You know, once you see something, now you can talk about it. You can be open about it. Uh, Barbara Johnson years ago said, uh, we're only as sick as our secrets. Well, I'll tell you, our secrets can really make us sick. And I, I just have always been fortunate enough to have somebody in this world that I could share my feelings and emotions with and, and so that I don't get sick over unresolved things. Mm-hmm. Resolve it by seeing it and opening up to somebody and taking responsibility and resolving it in whatever way you need to. And a lot of times a little help from somebody who knows how to help you can make all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Steve Hodd, what are some healthy ways that you release your anger? Well, I'm, I'm not an angry person. And in fact, the other day uh, I was in the kitchen doing something and I, I raised my voice at one of the kids and they started laughing at me because it's just not who I am. And I'm grateful for that. But if I'm frustrated, I do one of two things. I say, Hey, let's, let's just take a break. And and I try to leave, take a walk, do something. And the thing about 
self-regulation. It's one of the greatest skills ever, and we many times we don't even talk to our kids about it. But you need to have self-regulation. You need to be able to restrain yourself. Words matter. And I, if I'm saying things out of anger that are hurtful, hey, come on, uh, let's get some help for that. But in the meantime, tell yourself, I need to regulate this. I need to modulate this, and I need to remove myself if I can't do it. But taking a break, uh, taking a walk, and um, is always a great thing. Then you can kind of yell and mumble at yourself and come back in and be free. But then you ought to say, I don't want that to happen again. I don't want that to be a habit. Uh, I need to get some additional help. And, you know, people call 1-800-NEW-LIFE all the time. And the only reason they call is because their anger has gotten out of control. And somebody has said, you need help. Mm. And getting that help for you or a family member can be one of the greatest things ever. I married, uh, my wife is a resourcing person. And every time somebody in our family has needed something, she's found that resource that they needed. And as a result, um, we, we, we just are so happy that our kids are loving, they love each other, and, and we, ha- we really enjoy being together. And I really believe that that's possible for anybody if you're willing to get the right resource. And it's hard, difficult, there are a lot of things online these days that don't cost anything. You ought to try those things versus just thinking, I got a man up here and or woman up, and I got to get this taken care of. It, it's really hard to do. You need that humble uh, spirit of surrender to make a change and make mm-hmm. a difference. We just have two minutes left, uh, Stephen, so maybe I would ask uh, what, what role does disappointment have in anger? Mm. Well, so many people have realistic expectations, and then they're with someone who really uh, is just totally opposite of who they thought they were going to be with or marry. And, and, and so that disappointment can be so painful. Other times we have unrealistic expectations, and then the dream doesn't come true because the person can't create a miracle in their life. And so now we've got these unresolved expectations, and we're putting this pressure on the other person. All of that is anger-driven frustration, and you you know, you know, go from like feeling like a victim to, uh, to this, tri- this drama triangle of persecuting the other person, trying to change them or rescue them, and you have to step out of that. You have to say, I'm not going to live like mm-hmm. this anymore, and yeah. if you do, there's hope. Well, let's have let's have you back. Uh, this is there's way more to talk about. This is a great start. Stephen Arterburn has been my guest. Hundred days to freedom from fear and anxiety. Steve, thanks for doing the show. It's really been nice to, uh, hearing about your book, and you have great wisdom. Well, you do a great job, and I'd love to come back and talk again. Thank you I'd so love much. Love to have you, Stephen Arterburn. Again, has been my guest. Hundred days to freedom from fear and anxiety. It's a daily devotional. It's got about a hundred daily readings. It provides a short devotional. Some key scripture some notable quotes, and a time for reflection and prayer. So it's all good. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. 
So there are plenty of Christians that, that spend very little time studying doctrine and theology. I would not say that about faith radio listeners. I think they spend a lot of time studying doctrine and theology, but it's nice that you've got resources, places to go. Uh, ReasonableTheology.org uh, is a website by uh, Clayton Craby, and he really wants to help everyday believers study theology every day, which is a good goal. And it, he really wants to present sound doctrine in plain language. So it's always nice to have him on the show. He lives in Grand Forks, uh, Nodak. He's a pastor, and nice to have him back. Clayton, welcome. Thanks so much for having me back. Oh, I it's called you Clayton. You. I meant to call you Clay. That's okay. Uh, my legal name is Clayton, so you're not in the wrong. Yeah, but I feel like I'm not as friendly if I call you Clayton. But I, I think of you more as Clay. I, I like it. I prefer it anyways. Your mom calls you what? Sweetie. <laughs> I ain't going there, Clay. I'm going to stick to Clay. <laughs> so all right. Clay. <laughs> all right. Well, I was uh, looking on your website, and you had a very interesting story on spiritual pathfinders, light, lights in the midst of darkness. And I thought, hmm, interesting, because it looks like a bunch of people, guys from World War II. That was the picture. So it caught my attention. And they were a bunch yeah. of paratroopers. Yeah, absolutely. So one of my my interests outside of, you know, uh, theology and, and, you know, church history and those sorts of things, I've always been interested in history, uh, particularly interested in World War II history, and uh, that driving deeper, like many other people, um, the history surrounding Operation Overlord or D-Day invasions of mm-hmm. Normandy, France. Uh, and with that, anyone who has seen, for example, uh, Saving Private Ryan or the Band of Brothers miniseries is familiar with that and the role that that paratroopers had to play not only in that famous battle but throughout World War II. And so one of the interesting things that that came out of that is you've got paratroopers, which were a, a new military tactic, jumping out of airplanes. But what was happening from the start of the war is they are landing very far away from their objectives. When this happened in Sicily in 1943, some of the paratroopers landed 65 miles away from where they were supposed to land. Uh, it, it took weeks to get back to the Allied line. So obviously that's, a, that's not a small problem if they can't land in proximity where they're supposed to land to their objective, they're really rendered ineffective. So to solve this problem, the military created the Pathfinders. And what Pathfinders were, it was a special group of specially trained paratroopers who would jump out early. They would jump out ahead of the rest of the force, and once they landed, their job was to set up the drop zone. They're they're to mark it with signal beacons or flares, and very often it would be these special lanterns that were visible from the air, so both the pilots and the other paratroopers knew exactly where they needed to land. And so in the midst of all of the darkness and the chaos and the fear and the danger, that light provided a way for others to head in the right direction. And I find that to be just a wonderful analogy of what the Christian life is supposed to be. We are to be lights in the midst of darkness, pointing others to where they need to go, and that's to Jesus Christ. You know, Clay, I thought you were going somewhere with a spiritual application, and you've intrigued me, because this is exactly uh, a great illustration of where we need to be versus where we're uh, jumping out and landing. So, say more. 
absolutely. And and this uh, this type of illustration is is not you know me being clever. We see often in scripture where we are called to be lights or or light mm-hmm. uh, is used as a metaphor and how we're supposed to to shine forth for others that sort of thing. One of the main ones that comes to my mind and that I tie in with that article is. The book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, which says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And what I take from that, and and another passage which we can get it to in a moment, but we are supposed to live in such a way that our lives— shine as a light and draw others to Jesus Christ and his gospel. I love that. It's a, I love that passage in Philippians 2, and it's such a powerful reminder to do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God. And it is a crooked and perverse generation that we're in, and we do need to be salt and light in the world. I, I just love this imagery that you've drawn this comparison to with the, the paratroopers. It's really lovely. And it really is a dark world, and I think people are increasingly seeing that with our culture. It's it's increasingly not only apathetic towards uh, the things of God, but really getting to a point where it's hostile towards the things of God, which which brings in even uh, more parallels to to that paratrooper analogy, where they're jumping in not only into the darkness but into hostility. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. When we think of Jesus Christ, we think that he is the light of the world, and he is. But what was it that he said to his followers? He said, you are the light of the world in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you, his followers, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others— so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So here we see the light of the world, which is Jesus Christ, telling us and referring to us as lights. And and we reflect his light. We reflect his glory to others. Uh, and it's our privilege. It's our duty to draw others towards that light and point them to Jesus. So where are we to shine? That's kind of a big question, and I know you'll you'll have the perfect answer. Right, and you look back at that Philippians uh, passage in chapter 2. Mm-hmm. We are in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We are not meant as Christians to kind of uh, hole up together and and not interact with the world at all. We're supposed to be in the world but not of the world. And that means you are to shine wherever you are, whether that's work or school or in your family, in your communities, even if those places are difficult places. We are in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. It is increasingly hostile to the things of God, and that's exactly where God wants us to shine because the darker it is, the brighter that light shines out. So that's not a reason or an excuse for us to hide our light under a basket, as Jesus said, but rather to let it shine out. Because in the deepest darkness, that light shines out all the brighter. We don't want to hide it when it becomes difficult. When truth is being condemned, we need to shine out. And when when sin and error are being celebrated, 
we must shine. And, and when those who refuse to celebrate sin are themselves condemned, as we see in our culture today, we need to shine out. That's what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. Clay Cravey is my guest. His website is Reasonable Theology. So, Clay, what I want to, what I'm reminded of is uh, God wants us to be light in the world, and He calls us uh, to be set apart. And I think there was some theologian that said, uh, if you've got light outside, you're going to see bugs because they gravitate <laughs> toward the light. So, um, I think we have to be prepared for the persecution and for the difficulties and the challenges that come along with being light in the world. Absolutely. And and Jesus did not hide that, did he? We no. see it often in the gospel. In this life, in this world, you will have tribulations. Jesus never taught, and the Apostle Paul didn't teach, and the other biblical authors didn't teach, hey, if by chance you somehow maybe accidentally incur <laughs> some wrath from this world, mm-hmm. here's how to act. No, it's always when. It's always you will be persecuted. Yes. yes. And I think one of the struggles that we as the church, you know, using the broad sense, the church particularly in the West, have fallen into is that it has been rather comfortable, convenient, and easy to be a believer for many decades. And that is swiftly changing. And and Christians need to be aware that even if you only try to live, you know, a quiet life of faithful obedience and you're not out there on the street corner, you know, with a sign and a megaphone, you will increasingly be seen as someone who is uh, radical and hostile and you'll be seen as bigoted. All those things will happen. If you're going to shine as lights in the midst of darkness, you will be persecuted, attacked. They'll try to push you out of the public square. That's already happening now to some extent, and I truly believe it's going to become even worse as as the days go on. Yeah. How have you been at doing this? Do you have pretty thick skin? Because there's a lot of people go, I, I feel a little thin-skinned. I mean, if people start not liking me, I'm not going to like that. And that is the difficulty. Uh, I've I've gotten thicker skin, you know, as as I've matured, I wouldn't say that I would describe myself as someone who has particularly thick skin. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote for the school newspaper when I was in college, and, and a lot of people thought differently and, and wrote things in, so that, that helped me over the years to to start to toughen up a bit. And then uh, as you go on, different parts of your life will will help you get thicker skin. But one thing that I have found, and I, I can't recall which pastor or preacher or theologian I read it from, but I found helpful— was that your fear of God has to be greater than your fear of man. That is the solution for not wanting to be uh, obedient when it is difficult. Your fear of God has to be greater than your fear of man. And so if you cultivate that, if you cultivate through a study of who God is, his holiness, his sovereignty, his perfection, his omnipresence, his omniscience, all those things, get a, a healthy, right vision of who God is and your fear of man will diminish as you have that reverent awe and respect for our Creator. Clay, I love the idea that we would challenge ourselves to become spiritual pathfinders, to be that light, to be that way that's uh, pointing others to Christ, and to try to put our own personal egos aside and say, it's not about me, it's about Jesus, and that's where my allegiance is. And that's the thing that people need to remember. And so there's many examples someone could come up with of of where being 
a Christian out in public is going to get you in trouble. And the society increasingly wants us to simply be Christians in the privacy of our homes or maybe in our churches. But beyond that, they're really uh, uncomfortable with that and will push back. And what we need to start getting uh, comfortable with is the fact that we are going to get pushed back against and how are we going to respond. And the time for preparing yourself for that is not when it's happening, uh, but you need to be mentally prepared for that now because that's increasingly going to be the case. Mm-hmm. As I go back to uh, Philippians two fourteen and 15, and where it says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Can you flunk a Bible verse? I think I Can might I? have flunked that one. <laughs> just, just in terms of complaining uh, back and seeing how, <laughs> how easy it is to, to complain. Yes, and yes, yes. Yeah. And, and really, that's one of the things that are being addressed in kind of a list of of how we are to live out our faith. And and before that, the apostle speaks about working out our own salvation and working out what God works in you. And while that can be an area where we, we do often feel like we're flunking, that is an area that by God's spirit and his grace, we can increasingly uh, have victory over that. And we want to make sure that we are acting in such a way that we are being good reflectors of Jesus Christ's character. Because remember, when we're called Christians, all that really means is little Christ-like ones. Mm -hmm. We want to pursue Jesus so closely that when people look at us, they are reminded of him. Yeah. Clay, I like the fact you keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, Clay Craby is my guest. His website is reasonabletheology.org. We'll take a short break and be right back. Lord have Lord have are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. I'm back with Clay Cravey. He has a website called Reasonable Theology. That's reasonabletheology.org. He really wants to present sound doctrine in plain language, which, Clay, you do well. You speak clearly. You even enunciate well. So I'm impressed, just so you know. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Enunciation is very important. So a uh, great line by in your uh, blog here from Irish evangelist Gypsy Smith that once said, there are five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. And some people will never read the first four. Absolutely. And as the followers of Jesus, we will be read by those around us. So live lives worthy of being God's children, and you will shine as lights in the midst of darkness. That's from reasonabletheology.org. Clay wrote that, so I want to make sure he gets the credit because it's uh, well stated. Yeah, thank you. And it's something that we always need to remember is we are being watched by those around us, whether they be close relationships, a coworker, or maybe a family member who's not a believer. There, there's like these concentric circles 
of relationships that we all have going to your, your neighbor whose first name you know, but you're not that confident. So you just wave at them and say, hey, guy, uh, to, uh, you know, people that you just run into often. And all of those people, when they know that you are a Christian, they're they're paying attention, even if it's not all that conscious on their mind. They're paying attention to see how you act and how you live, and that impacts how they view Christians, how they view the church, how they view Scripture, and how they view Jesus and God and the gospel, all of those things. And we must keep that in mind, not that we'd be in a state of you know almost anxiety that we're being watched all the time, but we must be cognizant of the fact that we are being read in that sense by those around us. And we want to live lives in a way that are honoring to Christ and that really do shine as lights. And, and lights are uh, things that people are attracted to in the darkness. But we also, as we've already talked about, if someone wants to remain in darkness, for their deeds are evil, as we see in Scripture, that light is going to be seen as offensive. And that's that tension that we have living in this fallen world. You know, Clay, I'm, I'm, you've got me fascinated, too, about these pathfinders, these paratroopers that would— uh, jump early, and they would create the landing space for the others. It must have been a horribly dangerous time, and they're probably uh, more oftentimes alone and putting their lives at really greater risk. Definitely, and if you remember, uh, there is a line in in that Band of Brothers miniseries, and, and one of the uh, troopers is talking to Dick Winters, who is is the main leader throughout that series, and they refer or they refer to their situation as they're they're going to be surrounded, and his reply is, "We're paratroopers, sir. We're supposed to be surrounded." <laughs> but in that sense, they're jumping all together. They have uh, their you know depending on the size of the operation, they've got these different. A parachute infantry regiments that are jumping. You think of D-Day or Market Garden where there's massive things. But then you've got these smaller units that are going ahead, hours ahead. Uh, I believe on the D-Day invasion in Normandy, you know, they're going many hours ahead of to set up these beacons and flares and all these things. So not only are they surrounded like the rest of their, you know, brothers in arms, but they're also vastly outnumbered even compared to those that are going to be jumping behind them in a few hours' time, they're really in a difficult position. So I want to explore a little bit about light. When, you know, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and there are a couple of different types of light in the world. Um, there's the, you know, the, the physical light we see, and then the, the light that we have inside of us, our spiritual life, which is the life and the light that we need to show. Right. And so when you think of a, a verse like John eight twelve, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Mm -hmm. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And clearly he's talking about the, the light that he brings, that, that light that casteth out darkness. Um, so if you start thinking about that from a spiritual standpoint, you start to see that analogy, that metaphor where, where darkness is, is sin and evil and fallenness, and light is really getting equated with uh, righteousness, holiness, eternal life. And that's that juxtaposition. And just how when you bring in a candle or a lantern or a flashlight into a dark room, how immediately that, that darkness goes away from it, well, the same is true in terms of coming to Christ and, and in 
putting your faith in him, that light and that darkness can't coexist in the same space. Just as God is too holy to be with sin, and and so that can't coexist, when we are in Christ, we now have that light of life. And that's what he offers to us in the gospel. Yeah, when Jesus says that we'll never walk in darkness, I, I also understand that really to be a, a reference to the assurance of our salvation. We're not dead in our sin. We're not living in darkness. We're, we're living in light because of what Christ has done on the cross. Right, and you'll see that same theme picked up elsewhere in the New Testament where it talks about how you know we shouldn't walk in darkness, and there it's referring to because we have the light of life, we ought not live as if we don't. We ought not live how we used to live when we weren't in Christ. Right. So basically, be done with, put away, uh, put to death the sin that remains in you so that you can walk lie, walk as those worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Yeah. And of course, Clay, a great reminder that we should always be ready to give an account of the hope that we have, because that's what the gospel is. That if we have the gospel light in us, like the passage says, it's not to be covered. Yes, and that actually, that verse that, that you mentioned there from First Peter, that's a really helpful way to balance this out, because we've already talked about how if you are a light in the midst of darkness, people are going to take offense. People are going to want to, uh, as the old kids song, they want to blow it out. Um, <laughs> Mm -hmm. That is going to happen, but that doesn't mean that we live in such a way we are attempting to give offense. That is not our goal. We recognize that we will give offense, and, and fine, if people are offended by truth, they're offended. I'm not going to change truth for that, but it's not my goal to be offended. So in that first Peter, it goes on to say, you know, give a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So we're to live obediently, we're to speak the truth in love, but we do so in a way that leaves us blameless and innocent. And if they take offense, let them be offended by the gospel and not our conduct. Mm -hmm. So we we want the good works of Christ and the, the work that Christ is doing in us we want those to shine for people to see uh, because there's no more powerful testimony than than transformed lives. Amen. And I just heard someone say, and, and if I could remember where I heard it, I'd give credit where credit is due. But if we are going to proclaim that we have a life-changing truth, we need to show that we have had our lives changed. And it's very difficult, similar to that evangelist uh, Gypsy Smith quote we mentioned a little bit earlier in the conversation. If we are not living as those whose lives have been changed by the light of the gospel, it's very difficult at the same time to turn and tell those around us that we have something that will change their lives. Mm -hmm. They're watching and they won't believe us. I think of that old line, Cray, you know, what you're doing speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. So we do, need, exactly. we do need to have lives that demonstrate love and kindness and patience and um, and show people that you're a different person, you're a transformed life. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and of course, that always gets into that balance between uh, our, our faith in Christ and then our good works. And as long as we make sure that we're always maintaining that proper order of 
the root is our faith in Christ, and the fruit of that is our good works by which we let others see the light and come to it. We're, we're on the right track. Mm-hmm. So let me just let listeners know, if you head over to reasonabletheology.org, you'll find all kinds of uh, good reading. You'll find uh, lots of uh, simple uh, doctrines spoken in plain language. And if you've enjoyed Clay, you should head over there, check it out. And that's reasonabletheology.org. Clay, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me back on. Always enjoy talking to you. Yeah, and uh, blessings to you and your family. Same to you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Once again, Clay Craby has been my guest, and his website is reasonabletheology.org. If you want to receive a daily email featuring a scripture graphic, you can sign up for uh, at, for the verse of the day at myfaithradio.com. I think you should do it. I think it's great. That's all the time we have. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.